Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. They do not give her any agency. Her personality is nice. Her personality is I wear Tam hats. That's the only you were going to say that because I was going to say, I think she has a personality, guys. I think she's the biggest personality, which is I wear feathers to my wedding. <laughs> And welcome to a very special holiday episode of Talking Ship Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Megan Fitzgerald, and I'm so excited to bring back an old and familiar voice for you longtime listeners. Here she is, Queen of Christmas, Katie Butterwitz. Oh my God. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be back. You know, they say you can never go home again, but I feel like I am, in fact, returning home for my holiday break to see the ways in which Talking Ship has grown and evolved, and so have we all. And so have we all in the past, (laughs) I don't know, eight months? I know, it's been a while, and it's so funny, too, I'm laughing here because you were like, you you were saying like old friend, but like I heard old voice and it made me laugh because <laughs> one of my, in fact, major takeaways of like listening to our season back and then like listening to the rest of the seasons. How did I become a 27 year old who sounds 12? Listening back, I was like, who's that small child with big vocabulary? <laughs> she is precocious. What I a am. precocious young detective. Oh, <laughs> I love that log line for you. A precocious young detective. <laughs> Thanks. I've worked my whole life to make sure that that's how I'm seen. So amazing. <laughs> well, Katie is here today because we just felt that it was appropriate for this holiday season to talk about the ultimate holiday relationship movie, which is, of course, Love Actually. Love Actually is all around us. Obviously, you know, this is we usually do TV shows, but I love this movie. There are, uh, I mean, truly so many relationships in it to talk about that we felt it would be fun and hilarious. And I'm excited to get into it. And of all the films to choose, I mean, I feel like this is a great one because it is an ensemble piece. And it is, I mean, in certain ways told almost episodically. Do you know what I mean? Especially Mm -hmm. starting as far out from Christmas as it does, you do sort of like check in with people at various points in time. The way you don't always get to in features. So Absolutely. Yes. And what I like about it is that that because there are so many stories and so many relationships, there's a little bit something for everyone in this movie, no matter where you are, you know, romantically, emotionally in touch with your love for Christmas. There's a character for you. There's a Brit for you. There is a Brit for us all. Okay. And we have another voice that we're bringing on a little bit later, but Katie and I are first going to kind of share our takes on this movie because listen, I, every year this argument comes up of someone likes to say that love actually is not a good movie. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on the haters here at the top, because I think that if you are listening, you are our people and you love this movie enough to want to hear people talk about it for an hour. But let's just kind of talk about our experience of love, actually. It's it's length, it's depth, how it's changed. And before you do jump into that, I want to say that I take small issue with people rating any sort of like film or TV on a scale of good to bad. Because like, what does that mean? Okay, there's two ways, I think, I mean, a minimum of two ways that we can rank things. Like if you ask me, okay, was it good? Are you asking me 
on the quality scale or on the enjoyment scale. Right. Because I think they're two different things. And I, I think they're both valid. Green beans as a food is good for you, but I don't enjoy them. You know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so I think there's something to be said for both where it's like, I honestly, we're not talking about this movie, but like Twilight for me is the best example of that. Cause like on the quality scale down at the bottom on the enjoyment scale through the roof, you know, so absolutely, I think love actually at least hits somewhere in the midline on the quality scale and it just explodes the enjoyment scale. The the enjoyment scale is through the roof. You're truly like, you can't not dance watching this movie. You can't not quote watching this movie. You can't not talk about iconic scenes for this movie. There's a reason we've been talking about this movie for 17 years since it came out in 2003. So uh, absolutely. I would also argue that this is a good movie. I think you're right too. You know, I'm sure there are podcasts that are like more cinematic based that are going to be making that argument. You know, we're a relationship podcast. So we'll try to focus on that as much as we can, but I will be sprinkling in some of my arguments about how this movie is so good. Yeah. And of course, enjoyable. Speaking of enjoyable, I think I first saw this movie. I want to say I was 13. I, I might have even been 12. I was slightly too young to watch it because it is, in fact, the first depiction of sex I ever saw <laughs> with John and Judy, like fully in missionary on mm-hmm. the bed. And I was like, oh, that's what sex looks like. And I remember I watched it with my friend's mom and she was like, oh, my God. Like she was horrified <laughs> that she had let us watch it because I think she just forgot that that scene's in it. Yeah, every year, every year at Christmas, obviously this year will look a little different, but every year I'm like, I forget about that for a minute and think this is a good movie to put on for my grandma. And Uh then we like get there and I'm like, shit, God damn it. But you don't think of the just Judy that their storyline as porny, even yeah. though like that's on paper what's going on. They're actually one of the sweeter romances in the whole thing. Yes, exactly. Which is part of why this movie is so brilliant. I think it's so interesting with Christmas movies specifically because they're in this unique category that we watch them every year. There's like a set number of Christmas films that depending on who you are and your household traditions, your friendship traditions that you watch every year. And I personally am not much of like a cinephile and that there's not a lot of movies that I watch every year or even that I've seen multiple times. And I think that's most of the population doesn't have that kind of tradition. So I love going back and noticing new things, especially with this movie, because there's so much going on. It's such an ensemble cast. There's so many storylines. And I love being able to check in every year with like what storyline I'm relating to more in this particular year and how I'm growing and maturing. And there are things that, especially because I watched it so young, that I didn't understand for years and years. And my favorite ranking of the couples, which we will get to in a moment, because that's what we're here to do, is rank all the couples based on where we are right now in 2020. (laughs) Yeah, talk to us in a year, and I'm sure we'll be like, what's wrong with us? Exactly, exactly. Um, But yeah, that's changed out of time, too. And I I just think it's interesting with Christmas movies that we get to do that. And then specifically with this movie, because... So many people watch it and it is so fun. It's hilarious. This movie, the choices, the choices in this movie from like the writing, the performances, the direction, the design. Every single thought that Hugh Grant has in this entire movie has me on the floor. Yes. 
He's so specific the whole time. And I just, I couldn't have come up with it. He's amazing. And we talked about this off mic earlier, but the choice to have a little boy in Spider-Man face paint at a school recital is so specific and relatable and brilliant. And that's part of my argument that this movie is actually good because nothing goes unturned. Every detail is fully thought through. And that's why it's so fun to return to it every year and notice new things and laugh at new things and quote new things. I just think not liking Love Actually is such a cynical, hackneyed, boring, and frankly, basic takes. I think you're more basic for not liking Love Actually than you are for appreciating it as the lovely, wild, ridiculous mess that it is. I agree. Because it's, I mean, that's the same as, I don't know. It's the same. Whenever people call things basic or whatever, I take issue with that because I'm like, oh, it's basic because people like it. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, pumpkin spice lattes are basic because they're good. Right. Like, when did we start shitting on things for being quality, you know? Yep, yep. I just, I'll never understand it. But yes, all week, just so people know, in the prep for this episode, we've been talking about pieces that live, quote unquote, rent-free in our Mm -hmm. brains. Mm -hmm. And uh, like new different ones come up all the time. But right now I'm really stuck on uh, the very specific line reading of, what would we call her chubby? Just the way his his voice jumps up uh, like an octave. What would we call her chubby? A little bit conversely to your experience introducing love actually into your life I could be wrong but I don't think that I actually saw this movie in earnest until we lived together in college did I make you watch it I can't remember (laughs) to be honest I think you might have or I think that if I did it didn't really hit me in full and then Uh when we were living together you were like I love this movie and I was like you know what I do too Uh, like I just think you helped me see it in a new light which I could also psychoanalyze all day long because I think that I became, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the Christmas queen in college for different reasons than I am now. I think, you know, in college, I was newly an adult sort of living on my own and my parents were somewhat recently divorced. And so I think that I started clinging really strongly to my traditions Mm -hmm. and I became Christmas queen, the traditionalist. We're doing it this way and that's how it's happening. You know, I was like, I'm happy and I'm still the Christmas queen, but for much healthier reasons now. (laughs) But I think what was nice about that and what was nice about, you know, becoming acquainted with it when I did, meaning in association with with you and with friends and with like the way we watched it was much like the movie itself. It became sort of an ensemble, like communal experience. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that I sort of experienced privately on my own the way that I sometimes do with other Christmas movies. You know, I think I have more, this is a weird thing to say, but I think I have more of a private relationship with the Santa Claus. That's the weirdest sentence. I couldn't even get through it. But you know what I mean? If I watch that movie, I'm sort of communing with myself as a child versus if I watch this movie, I'm communing with you and with me now and with me a year ago. And yeah, there's just different sort of settings and different like modes in which to enjoy a Christmas movie. Yeah. And so I do think that that's what love actually goes for. Like you were saying, it's, you know, it's something that we all check back in with once a year and you can use as a barometer to see how you've grown and see what it feels like, how we were saying before, like to go home again. Mm -hmm. Um, And weirdly, it's an odd note to pick up on at the top of this like joyful Merry Christmas podcast. But what I like about it is that it's kind of sad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not just purely this like happy peppy Hallmark Christmas extravaganza, which there's nothing wrong with those. Mm -hmm, I really mm -hmm. like those. We love a Netflix special. We love a princess switch. I love, yeah, the Netflix Christmas cinematic universe. I'm here for it. 
But I think that what we like about those is that they are fantasy. Yeah. I think that what we like about this is that it's real life. You know, there's Mm -hmm. heavier subject matter. And that's something we deal with at Christmas time as well, whether we want to or not. You know, at Christmas, we check in with our lives, the good and the bad, and we feel it all. And I think that's a good thing. I think the love and the family and the kinship and everything that we feel at Christmas time is even stronger and richer and more important because of the things that you feel that are sadder and heavier, you know? Yes. Yes. Right. You feel as much as you feel love and community. You can also feel the absence of such. And you can also feel Christmas is for people with someone they love in their lives as mm-hmm. much as like there is that aspect. It also brings up not having someone you love in your life. Yeah. And that is very hard at Christmas too. And you're right. This movie deals with all of that. And maybe that's part of the reason we all continue to relate to it because there is something for everyone every year. That's exactly it. So it's wherever you are in this season of your life, there is someone in this story at every age or state in life that you can relate to. Yeah. Usually for me, it's Laura Linney, but you know, one day, (laughs) one day, maybe I'll be Judy. All right, everyone. So that brings us to the meat of the episode. The reason we're all here, the reason for the season, we are going to rank these love actually relationships from our least favorite to our favorite. But before we do, we are bringing in our third voice to this conversation, a much needed voice, a voice of reason, a voice of humor, a voice of wisdom, and our friend and yours, Angela Giratana. Hello and welcome back. Merry Christmas. Love is all around. <laughs> all you need is love. Amazing and terrible. You are my everything and the listeners can't see it right now, but I am holding up signs to confess my love for both of these two. I also think it's like very somewhat, you know, cinematic in the universe that I have my first ever host and my most recent host here with me to do this ranking. It's almost like we're like in different storylines and maybe we visit each other. Yes. Yes. That is exactly it. So speaking of storylines, all right, everyone, we're ranking nine relationships. There are more relationships because they all know each other, but we're not going to spend time on Laura Linney's relationship to Andrew Lincoln, though they do seem to be good friends. But we're going to do the bulk, the bulk relationships, the famous, the quotable, the ones we can learn from. So we're going to start with number nine, our least favorite of them. Not to say that it's bad, but our least favorite coming in at number nine is Mark and Juliet. I feel like most of us maybe don't know the character names, and this is Kira Knightley and Andrew Lincoln's storyline. That's story so funny because as you said that, I was like, I'm, I will also be using popsugar.coms. Here are all the couples <laughs> of Love Actually by picture because I can't keep up with the names either. Yeah, this is for the listener at home. This is probably your most recognizable couple in terms of he did the thing with the cue cards that he was dropping that that everyone's referencing since. And ladies, may I ask, why is this our least favorite? You may. Well, Angela, I will answer your question with some relatable content because (laughs) you may be in a Mark and Juliet situation if you insist on putting your feelings on someone who doesn't want them. That's pretty much the overarching. And then I had some like smaller situations where you might be like adjacent to it if you can never actually act on your feelings. It's forbidden. Yeah. You might be in a Mark and Juliet situation if you know it's totally out of bounds, but yet you feel the way you feel. And you might be in a Mark and Juliet situation if you just might have to shoot your shot just once, not even for results, but just to get it off your chest. Like I just have to say it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I did mm-hmm. smart, Katie. Oh. Damn. Oh, my God. Thank but you, you know, so I'll throw in the most relatable of the relatable contents. You might be in a Mark and Juliet situation if when you're filming a large event, you only zoom in on one person. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wait, I, yeah. To add to that, you might be in a Mark and Juliet situation if your favorite Hitchcock is Rear Window. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. If you're slightly into voyeurism. Well, you may be in a Mark and Juliet situation if you're a murderer and you um, are the home state killer and you film close-up shots. You can be in love with people, but who is in love with people and they exercise that by, like, filming them? The really close-up. The audacity at the wedding. Listen, we all have our, like, creepy stalking tendencies you know, I found crushes mothers on Facebook, but I would not at their wedding zoom in on them and then save that tape in, in very easy access. Yeah. Even like with like Instagram culture, this logic would go to being like, oh, he's always on her story. But it's like, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. No. no. Sometimes I I take issue with the fact that this is like the most famous scene because I don't like this couple. There are things that are very like, Obviously, I think a lot of the times we encourage people, if you feel a certain way, if you love someone, let them know. I do believe in shooting your shot. And even even if it is just to say it just once, we see Rachel Green do this in Friends where she's like, I just had to tell him that I love him. And I know that there's not going to be a result, but here we go. But what I take issue with is that I think there are times where that is selfish and that is no longer for the person. It is for you, especially because he doubles down on it. She finds the video, but then he double downs with the note cards. And then she basically has to like carry that secret into her marriage. That's not something she wants. That's putting it on her. That's emotional labor. She now has to do on behalf of you and you get to feel better. And what I think is not realistic about this relationship is that she seems fine with it because you're right. He's putting this on her. And I, I think based on the way that like he walks away and she goes and gives him the little kiss, whatever. I think that, She's like, oh, what a sweet thing that just happened. That's nice of you. And then, like, we're supposed to believe she just goes inside and is like, the carol singers were great, darling. And then they, like, yeah. live their lives forever. But right. I think that, that that's not what would happen. I agree. I, like, I'd be racked with guilt. <laughs> it's also very funny that she um, – here I am talking about Instagram three times now, but I'll do it. What's really funny is, like, now in a 2020 Love Actually world, she'd DM him. Oh, yeah. No, you know what she would do even worse? I actually believe this bitch would respond to a post story with like a stupid emotional reaction. Yeah. Yeah. They would send each other memes back and forth all the time. And Chiwetel Ejiofor would never know. They would be like, no, it's fine. Like, we're just friends. And like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Here's the thing. I I don't think Juliet has feelings for him. But I do think she is written as the ultimate manic pixie dream girl because – a, she's beautiful and 18 when she filmed this movie. Nope. Nope. And they, she does not have a personality. They do not give her any agency. Her personality is nice. Her personality is I wear Tam hats. I thought you were going to say that because I was going to say, I think she has a personality, guys. I think she's the biggest personality, which is I wear feathers to my wedding. <laughs> That's a personality. If you wear your wedding, you're, you have a personality. Yep. In a crop top um, and on a very cold November day on a boat. Yeah. Her personality is liking Bonafide pie. 
that's something I just want to say at the beginning of this um, for me that I rewatched this with my parents. So not only am I coming with hot takes from me, I'm coming with hot takes from Deb and Ray, the funniest of the funniest. And Ray commented once she like ran after and kissed him. He goes, I'm not even stretching the truth here, guys. My dad goes, see, that's interesting because usually when it's a love triangle, the guy that she's with is painted as a as a villain, but her guy seems pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> she does love him, right? The guy she's with. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it's this, she's painted as such a chill girl. She's like, oh, I'm so fine with the fact that you put your feelings on me and I think it's adorable and I'm just going to give you this sweet little kiss and off I go. No hard feelings. Like that's not realistic. That's not a real woman. She's a manic pixie dream girl. Not yeah. real. Not real. Feathers aren't at a wedding with the crop top that pretty. Not real. It took me years of my life to understand enough, enough now. And I do think that that sentiment does exist where you're like, okay, I shot my shot. That's all I need to do. Goodbye. Doesn't make it fair to her, but I do now understand that sentiment. Yeah. Beautiful cobblestones though. That's what I'll yeah. say. Great Beautiful. cobblestones. Okay. Number eight, the heartbreaker of the movie coming in at number eight is Harry and Karen and of course, this is Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson. Yeah, you might be in a Harry and Karen situation if the person you're with turns out not to be the person you thought they were at all. <sighs> yep. Yep. I think you might be in a Harry and Karen situation if there's someone in your partner's life you have a gut feeling you should be worried about and heartbreakingly, you turn out to be right. Mm -hmm. You might be in a Harry and Karen situation if you are forced to choose family or, you know, duty over your hurt or, or over yourself. I'm going to play with two hot ones that are as equally bogus as my last. You may be in a Harry, Karen, and Mia situation if you're listening to Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now in full. Mm -hmm. because In full. Mm -hmm. you listen to it in full, you're just actually depressed the full way. Mm -hmm. It's just. You may be in a Harry and Karen situation when you take – I don't know how to form this in a relatable content, but I will say um, you use like a – like kind of like an alarming setting for your confrontation. Oh my God, mm. yes. Like what a manipulative hot bitch when she comes in there and she's just like at the school and she goes, what would you do if your husband did this? <laughs> would you stay? Knowing life would always be a little bit worse. Heartbreaking. Uh, that to me though is one of the most actually relatable parts of the entire movie yeah. is like having a fight at the worst time, mm -hmm. but you can't not have the fight. Having a fight That's at it. a children's Christmas pageant. I'm sure all of our parents in the oh, in yeah. the lobby of our childhood productions and then the same way that she does we come down the stairs and they're like darling except they wouldn't say that because we're in america yeah. but well but same yeah. same vibe too is like when she goes into the room to cry for a minute and then comes back out and they're all ready to go and she's like oh my god like the reversal of that is like yeah. so spot on and also just so christmas eve like christmas eve must go on no matter yes. what you know what i mean like we can't oh, yeah. we can't stop for emotions you take a second and then you pull your bootstraps up and you go to the pageant yes okay a couple little moments of me sprinkling in the argument of why this movie is legitimately so good and it speaks to playing all of both sides now the fact that in this very fast paced movie they give like a full 90 seconds of just Emma Thompson standing alone in that room and crying to that song. And the fact that they give it that much space speaks so well to the quality of this film, the direction of Richard Curtis, Emma Thompson's performance, which I read an interview and she says she pulls very directly from her own life because she, of course, was cheated on by Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth. So no, 
with Helena Bottom Carter. So just <gasps> having all of that. Oh yeah. Just the, her performance is incredible in this movie and the gesture of her putting her palms below her eyes and like fanning her tears off before she goes and sees the kids is so beautiful. And, and we've all been there and we've all been there at the holidays. So we love Emma. That's what I'm trying to say. God. I mean, what you just, fuck, I, I, I imagine she either looked at the DP or the DP looked at her and she went, just roll on this one. <laughs> and she went, I got a lot of stuff to unpack. Um, just before she started, they were going to do two seconds for like a special. And then somebody back there went, let's keep going. <laughs> interrupt this this is her are you ready for it katie yeah her auto drama oh <laughs> my god put it put it in the talking ship dictionary new glossary term auto drama auto drama something else about this storyline is it took me years i just think because emma thompson's so empathetic it took me years to really realize she's written as cold mm-hmm. And we see that in the way she deals with her um, Daniel's wife's death, where she's like, no one's ever going to shag you if you cry all the time. Yeah. And I for people who are like cold and tough, but are in love, it's this certain kind of trust that your partner gets you. Even if you're like not the most like lovable and forward, your partner was the one that like thawed your icy heart and you have this kind of trust in that. So then the fact that he chooses Mia, who just throws herself at Ugh. him with like compliments and sexuality must feel like uh, the most painful sucker punch. So it's like, not only did you cheat with someone, you cheated with someone, the complete opposite of me that is throwing herself at you in a way that is so not me. Yeah. What's the reason that I feel good about the low ranking of this couple here is that it's just so random. It's not like Mia was this great love of his life and he did a thing of passion, which wouldn't make it excusable, but at least you'd be like, I get it. It's just random. There's nothing redeemable about Mia and Harry's not unhappy prior to anything to do with Mia. He he literally just does it because he can. And it's just this random thing. And that's, I think, what makes it so awful and so heartbreaking is there's no reason behind it. And I have to say this, this is my last take that my parents gave me. It was true brilliance. Now, this is the best one. And I was hoping that this couple would go last because this is the best bit that it's ever happened to me. We're sitting there and it's like post-Turkey Day. And my mom is like now like tired, drunk, not drunk anymore, just tired. Mm -hmm. And she's like half asleep and she starts paying attention. She turns over and she goes, it's sad, but it happened. (laughs) (laughs) And then gives it a beat like a comedic genius and goes, it's love, actually. <laughs> and goes to sleep. Oh. And that is why they are not last, is I do think <laughs> that this is real, unlike the other storyline. Yeah. This is love, actually. <laughs> do you think that they can work it out? Um because they do it is implied at the end that he goes home with them yeah i think there's well there's so much to be said for the scene where he's like how are you and she's like i'm fine i'm fine i think that she sticks it out for whatever reason none of them having to do with him and i don't think she sticks it out for their relationship at all i think she sticks it out for their life and for their kids Mm -hmm. and for Mm -hmm. the all of it but she it's never gonna be the same i think yeah life will always be a little bit worse as she says yeah I think she also wakes up a little bit. She, she she does too. I think there's two two parties here. I'm not saying Emma Thompson yeah. is guilty of anything because she should never be. Um, but uh, I think she's also like, whoa, I forgot my marriage is the thing I have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
Part of me thinks because it was so not an emotional affair, it was truly like a villain coming in and trying to steal his body with a literal devil costume. Literal devil costume. They were like, <laughs> she's the villain. Hit us over the head with it. Um, but I think it's not emotional. It's just sex. And so maybe they can have this moment to rebuild from there. No. If you're in a Mia relationship, fuck you. If you're Mia, you deserve to live in the dodgy end of Wadsworth. Yes. <laughs> you deserve to be alone on Christmas in your lingerie. Yes. Open. Oh, let's move on to number seven, which is Colin and the American girls. But namely who he ends up with is, is Harriet. But let's just talk about his relationship with the American girls in general. Because you might be a Colin if you've got a lot of love to give, but you just can't connect with anybody. <laughs> you might be a Colin if you pull a geographic to fix your romantic issues rather than looking inward and taking people's advice. <laughs> Clearly the girls in America will like me because I have a cute British accent. I don't know though. The logic of the type of people that will appreciate me aren't here isn't crazy to me. Yeah. Part of me is like respect to Colin for being like, there's nobody here that is willing to accept the love that I have to give. And listen, we're not saying Colin's not an HR nightmare. If somebody was delivering muffins to me every day and saying, try my lovely nuts, like I would hate him. <laughs> but I think that he, he doesn't sit around and complain about how he's not getting any. He takes action. And and I think that's respectable. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll end it with another stupid one where it's like, you may be a Colin if you didn't really go to college. <laughs> or, or or like go to a summer program where you can just like let all that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he's like a very to me. It's just a very college boy that's just like I want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be fair to Colin, after everything we just said, he's not wrong. He goes to America, and everything he thought would happen happens. And it's and so I don't true. think that that's completely like obviously some of this movie is very heightened and very uh, on the nose and. I think we love accents, and I don't think that this is totally fictionalized. No. It looks like the girls he meets are like girls that you would find like at Stagecoach. When <laughs> <laughs> like the Bachelor and Bachelorette Nation people go to Stagecoach, where it's like they don't look, they don't look like they're from the South, but they look like they're doing like a cute American party thing. Like that's what it looked like. Yeah, I think he's just living out a fantasy, too, you know? And, like, who hasn't done that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Who hasn't? Especially, it's funny that you mentioned stagecoach. I've never been. But, like, I feel like there's this feeling of if you go to, like, a weekend away like that where you're like, I'm just going to be someone else. I'm going to live my fantasy. And he even sits down at the bar and he goes, I'll have a Budweiser, the king of beers. Like, he's just living every part of it. Yes. Okay. Here are the um, descriptions of Stacey, Jeannie, and Carol Ann, according to IMDb. (laughs) Which is a musical version? We'd get cast. Are, are you saying I'm hot? I'm saying you're hot. No, I'm saying we'd be the three funny girls on the side that would do some stupid roll on for like two seconds and then go off. She's right. She's right. Stacy is the American dream girl. <laughs> She's the first one that we see. Jeannie, January Jones, mm-hmm. is the American angel. <laughs> okay, I'm doing this for us three. Yeah. Who's the first? And Carol Ann is American goddess. Oh, my word. Okay, so I'm going to say that that Katie's American dream girl. Thank you. I'm going to say Megan's American dream goddess. And what does that leave me? Angel, You baby. are the angel. I, I believe it. Angela? I believe it. Angel? Oh, oh. It's a perfect cast. Yeah. Let's move on to, uh, to me, the, the one I keep coming back to year after year, and that is... 
Carl and Sarah, as we all know it, Laura Linney's plotline. Yeah. Oh, sad. Um, which is unfortunately for me, the most relatable part of this movie. Um, I've yeah. been a Sarah so many times, so you may be in a Carl and Sarah relationship. If you fix your makeup, when you know, you're going to see the person you like. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm about to read myself here by saying you might be in a Carl and Sarah situation. If you are more comfortable playing out your romances in the theoretical than in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you might also be in a Carl and Sarah situation when the prospect of being rejected is more terrifying to you than the prospect of success is exciting. Does that make sense? Like Mm -hmm. you've weighed the options and you're like, yes, I could go for it and be successful and that would be amazing, but it would be worse to go for it and not be successful. So I'm just going to sit where I am. It's funny that it's coming back to back with the Colin storyline because I actually think this is an incredibly realistic storyline. Because being someone who does fix their makeup when they're going to see their crush and like invents a whole narrative of the moment you share when somebody walks by your desk, living in the fantasy of it is, you know, is addictive, frankly, and fun in some ways until it's really, really not fun. I don't know, though. Here's my thing. This is what I wonder. Katie, do you feel like it's her, not to put fault on anyone, but do you feel like it's a Laura Linney problem? What's her character's name? Sarah. Do you think it's on Sarah that it doesn't work out? I don't know that I actually do think it's that on her. I definitely have watched it before and been like, oh, girl, you got to put yourself first. Like, do what you want. But I also think that it's kind of just an issue of them not really knowing each other. I think when you have a lot of time, and and listen, you guys would be more the experts on office place romances. So please stop me if you have something better to say. (laughs) But I think that a lot of times when that is the case, you don't really know them. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this version of them or this like fantasy of them. And so I think it's kind of an issue of once they actually go for it and they're in the reality of it. I mean, I think that Carl's personality is being hot. Like, I think that Carl is hot. And I think that Carl knows Carl is hot, which is his biggest flaw. Once all of the fantasies are stripped away, there's just not much there. So for that, I can't blame her. At the end of the day, I, I would choose my brother over like some lame dude who's super into himself too, you know? Yeah, yeah. The fans of this movie, I think in my experience, get so mad at Laura Linney for taking the phone call. They're like, don't pick up the phone, blah, blah, blah. And sure, I have shouted that at the screen too. <laughs> Here's the thing. And and yes, they don't know each other well, but he's not a random hookup. Like it seems like everyone in the office kind of understands what the situation is here. So he's not yeah. a random dude. And I think he should have understood or been more understanding and I do kind of get the sense because he's not like Rico Suave when he asks her to dance. Like I kind of do get the sense that he also had a crush on her and was like taking this moment to make this move. So he finally does. And then she explains the situation to him with like a lot of honesty and a lot of vulnerability with me. And if you were any coworker and you like them even a little bit in this moment is so desperate and so sad. It should be like a, listen, I get it. Do you need anything? Can I drive you over there? Do you want to get coffee tomorrow? Like try anything, do anything except get all butt hurt and hit your thigh when she says that she's not in the middle of anything talking to her mentally ill brother. (laughs) She is prioritizing like family over fucking and he gets so offended. And um, I think what we're supposed to take away from it is apparently like, oh, Laura Linney is just not in a place to have a relationship. What I take away from it is 
Carl's not the relationship, or maybe yeah. that's just taken me time to understand it is the lesson isn't she's not ready. She has this going on and she can't be in a relationship until she solves this problem with her brother. I think the lesson is she needs to be in a relationship with someone who does understand and who is ready to take that on. And those people do exist. Oh, okay. Thank you. Because, okay, not to get super emotional here, but I, this was so funny revisiting this movie as you get older, because what's so fun about it is you revisit so many different things that you didn't think you would connect to that maybe now you connect to. I completely um, never connected to Laura Linney's thing. But then as like an older person now who like, I don't know, the older you get, the more you have to take care of your family, right? And yeah. this isn't anything I ever had to be like, sorry, this boy at the treehouse I want to flirt with. I have a family issue. We were both like young and you didn't have that stuff. But now getting mm-hmm. older, I'm like, oh, getting older is like dealing with other people's junk. And I have friends and family members that it's like, oh, I'm the call to person in the family and who I'm dating has to know that. You have to know that I have to take care of my family and my loved ones. And it may not be to that extreme extent, but I totally connect with the storyline. And I connect Mm -hmm. with what you just said, Megan, which is I connect with the fact that this isn't a problem with her. This is a problem with who she's dating. And she just needs to look for somebody that will let her take that phone call and not make it a fucking deal. Yeah. She's available. She's just not available at this one moment. At this one moment. Yeah. Medically for someone. It's just the right person. Yeah. Like, what a weird thing to like put it all in that moment and be like, don't answer. I'm like, that's nothing's like ride or die like that. Like, it's just, I, what? Sorry, dude. You've been unavailable at the office when she's been giving you googly eyes for freaking years. And right. she gets unavailable for one second in her bed because a emergency comes up and you throw a fit. And like, sure, this is, you know, I think she also learns she does need to find balance in her life. And there is a little bit of the growth of like, you need to do something for you. And of course she needs to learn that. But I also think it, this isn't all on her. This is a this is a matchmaking thing. And Carl is not the right match. Truth. Um, so to all you lonely girls out there fixing your makeup when someone walks by, maybe shoot your shot earlier because then you'll know that he was not the right one and you can find your peace quicker. That's what I would say. I was going to say, like, I know this is why we're talking about this because it's a Christmas movie, but like Christmas is just a really high stakes time to shoot your shot. So maybe just don't do it at Christmas. Do it on like tax day or something. (laughs) And also to all those lonely girls out there that like have a lot going on and still want to pursue their crush, you're allowed to do that and take care of your family at the same time, bitches. Yes. Hell yes. All right. Let's move in on to our number five relationship. And that is Joe and Billy Mac. Billy Mac. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is one that's grown on me with time too, because I, I did not, you know, fully understand its depth as when I was a child, but mm-hmm. you may be... Uh, have a Joe and Billy Mac relationship. If you have someone in your life who's seen you through the highest highs and the lowest lows. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one goes out to Megan with the love languages. Uh, You might be in a Joe and Billy Mac situation if your love language is quality time or acts of service. That's my combo, baby. That's my one, two. <laughs> I I love the Billy Mac speech at the end so much. This, yeah. A, just the performance of it is his performance in this movie is genius. Yeah. Yeah, like an idea for every line. Ooh, yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a very real, like we don't tell our friends we love them enough. I mean, I think uh, we tell each other. We particular, the three of we us do. are probably We're good at it. Good at it. 
<laughs> but I think generally as a population, we don't tell our friends we love them enough. And I especially think male friendships, straight males don't tell each other that they love each other enough. And I think especially coming from someone as odd and vulgar and, you know, we're going to admit it, incredibly misogynistic as Billy Mac. So then to tell his best friend that he loves him and he wants to spend Christmas with him, I I think it's a beautiful moment. I think it's a lovely little speech. I think it's so sweet, especially I've noticed, and it's different because they're, I mean, I guess two adult men, but like I've noticed, you know, I have a lot of sort of best friends. I always have like, like you guys are my best friends. I have best, like, that's what it's about. You know what I mean? And you are incredible at friendships. Thank you so much. Well, Mm -hmm. where I've been lacking in romantic relationships, I've poured all of that love that I have to give into friendships. And what I've found as I become an adult is people, specifically people of generations older than us are not used to seeing that. Uh, One of my best friends who I live with, People are so confused by this, like, strong female friendship and the fact that we, like, work on it. You know, that's my family. But it's, like, so many people don't understand what that is. You know what I yeah. mean? There have mm-hmm. been times where people are like, are you guys lesbians? And I'm like, literally, no. People just cannot even recognize a platonic friendship where you express love like Joe and Billy Mac. And I just think mm-hmm. it's, like, such a good – I mean, obviously, growing up, it was sort of a gray area where you're like, are they gay? Are they in love? Are they friends? I don't know. But – to even express love in that way for someone who's just like your person is so fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I also think Christmas is a really good check-in of who you want to be with. And so I think the act of leaving to spend Christmas evening with him is very relatable um, because I feel like I have been thinking about this a lot recently. I think it always becomes very apparent for me if I have feelings for someone around the holidays, because I have pangs of wishing they were with me on this holiday. And and I think that is one of the like universal truths of Christmas and of the holiday season. That is this kind of like ethereal, weird magic part of it. And so I love how this plot line speaks to that. And we all have people we love in our lives and that we want to share this with. And that's part of what makes Christmas Christmas. And, and there's my sentimental take. Oh, and it was a sentimental take, and it was good. Angela, can I live vicariously through you for a second? Let's hear it. Does your boyfriend like Christmas? Oh, my God. So I, Yeah, I was going to actually bring this up because, first of all, yes, my boyfriend loves Christmas. Thank God. Good. <laughs> it came up on the first date. I said, do you treat people with kindness? Also, do you love Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> One and um, the same. Very high up in my priorities. But I was somebody that was like very, wasn't, you guys know me, like I'm not a super relationshipy person. This is like my first relationship. And I never until recently, like ever thought where you spend the holidays matters. I was like, Mm. I just spend it with my family and I hate my family and whatever. It's like, or I mean, I love my family, but sometimes I'd be like, oh, this is not ideal. But like, this is what I, what else would I do? Right. Yeah. And it wasn't until later where I was like, this is the first Thanksgiving me and my boyfriend spent together. Um, I invited him to my house um, with my parents. And it was like, yeah, if he wasn't here, it'd feel like we were missing out on something. It's so funny that I lived a different life where it didn't feel like I loved that. Like, and I'm a lover, but like, it didn't feel like I like had like relationships where it was like, oh, should I reevaluate where I'm at? Who mm-hmm. I'm spending holidays with? And that's what's happening in this relationship is like, he actually doesn't have the emotional moments to sit and be like, where do I want to be? Or who am I missing right now? But he does in this. And it's so sweet. And yeah. it's so fun. Yeah. Uh, like I, I'm so offended on behalf of Joe that 
Billy Mac calls him fat. But I also think that it's the epitome of like, you poke at the people you love. Like, I think he's deflecting because he loves them. That just reminded me. I wanted to do a, just an edit of the movie just without the fat shaming. Just yeah. Just, yep. four scenes. just four scenes, take it out, literally cut it. And then it's like, hey guys, I am putting up an online version of Love Actually without the fat shaming. So, <laughs> And there's a little bit, there's also some transphobic jokes in it. So if we could yeah. just take those things out. Golden. Also just real quick on this, again, brilliant that they put one of like the most sentimental speeches in the most flippant character. Yeah. And that's why the scene works so much because you have Billy Mac who we've built to be this ridiculous, doesn't take anything serious person. And then so at the end when he has this speech, it like surprises us and slaps us in the face. And I love a movie that slaps yeah. me. I, I, think, love a movie. I love a movie that slaps me. I think that one of my favorite things about the Joe and Billy Mac relationship is We've seen a lot of stories about how important family is at Christmas time, and we see that enough in this movie, but I think they are a really good example of how important chosen family is at Christmas time, which is kind of what you were saying, the people you want to be with. I mean, you see Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant in this movie, our brother and sister, and they're together for three whole seconds. Yep. But you see Joe and Billy Mack together so much, and that's still family, you know, even though it looks different. Yes. Yep. I think that's important. Uh, speaking of Hugh Grant, the prime minister as a terrible brother, <laughs> <laughs> let's go on to our number four relationship, which structurally may be higher, but we are putting it at number four. And that is David and Natalie coming in at number four. Angela, what did she just say? I, maybe I'm a little embarrassed that I said it, but I said, I I think she has an incredible performance. <laughs> oh, incredible. I thought you said terrible. I think she has an incredible performance oh, too. Good. Uh, I literally was like watching her and I was like, this actress is popping. She's great. Um, and the part was written for her. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is that Wait, like? How would you feel if they were like, this part's written for you and like half the dialogue about you is like, plumpy. Would we call her fat? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yes, a sizable ass. I'd be like, excuse me. <laughs> oh. And also say, this is, I think, another kind of manic pixie dream girl. Oh, yeah. Where it's like not that, but like on the lines of that, like in that same fashion show, there's like quirky mess up girl who like goes, oh, whoops, sorry, ah, I'm crazy. Yep. <laughs> I have a crazy mouth on me. Oh, that one's got a mouth on her. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. For me, this is, I think, second to the Laura Linney moment, though. This is why this relationship is higher than maybe some other people would put it if we're looking at it like critically is uh, <laughs> where he goes. Oh, that is so inconvenient. And I think that <laughs> moment of like, oh, fuck, now I'm in a workplace and I'm going to have these feelings for someone. You may be in a David and Natalie situation if you have a very inconvenient work crush. That's true. I feel like you may be in a David and Natalie situation if you're like having attraction for someone that it just doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. I feel like that would be her perspective. If I was her, I'd be like, I'm attracted to the prime minister and he's twice my age and yeah. over, you know what can you do every time now since you have any like office relationships or just anything that's just inconvenient you should just play that clip oh this is going to be inconvenient <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. so this used to be my favorite relationship when I was younger but I think it's just because my actual dream is to make out with someone backstage during a performance of all I want for Christmas is you I think I've spent 13 years of my life now chasing this dream 
but it's it's now lower for me for a few reasons. I mean, first of all, we just should acknowledge that like if this was a real situation, if the prime minister was really fucking his catering oh, manager, we have to be like, scandal, this is an abuse of power. And we acknowledge that this uh, would be questionable if it happened in real life. Did you guys, um, my roommate mentioned, he was like, this is my favorite storyline, but it's also hard to watch now because of that. And oh, interesting. I don't think he abuses his power, though. No. I think that they, part of what they do with the Billy Bob Thornton character is put him there, like, as a counter. So, like, he's so creepy towards her that, like, by example, David seems uber respectful of her. Yes. So true. They throw an American in there to make him look even better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think also, I mean, I guess this is David's whole character development is, like, learning to stake a to take a stand for things Mm -hmm. but it like always pissed me off that the reason he got all upset is that the president hit on her like the president hit on natalie then she gets fired before she could even explain and then that she has to apologize in her little note i'm actually yours and also here's what i want to say how is he as the prime minister Mm. can have a ruthless trained people murder her ex-boyfriend and can't get her fucking address as a former employee it's got to be on a form somewhere where jamie is able to figure out where aurelia lives and all he had was that little old lady to help him out (laughs) the prime minister of england has to go door to door in the dodgy end of wadsworth no it's like he goes i need the address for natalie and then one of them goes but then we wouldn't get a beautiful, funny, hilarious Hugh Grant montage. Yeah, the fact that hapless Colin Firth can figure it out. But Hugh Grant, <laughs> the prime minister of England, is goes, does Natalie live here? <laughs> I yeah, I just think Hugh Grant isn't re- using his resources the best he could. But what I do like about this relationship a lot is that, and we spoke about this when we did The Office, uh, Angela, is it's the idea of when you have a crush, you become drunk. But like we lose complete control when Mm -hmm. we have a crush out of someone. And this relationship speaks to the babbling, the, the weird hand gestures he does where he goes, Hi, with his hands. <laughs> I do dumb shit like that all the time where I have a crush and I'll walk away from them. I'll be like, who was that? What did I just do? I lost full control of my body as this person walked by. And 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 love can make us monologue. And boy does he ever. And love and can make us monologue. And I think sometimes when we recognize our feelings for somebody, when we're like, oh my God, I have feelings for them. Suddenly we have more clarity where it unlocks clarity in other parts of our lives. And I think that is a very beautiful thing that love can do. Amazing. I also think I want to go back and revise what I wrote, but I said, um, when you were in a crush, I think it's better to say you act like a toddler, not like a black Mm -hmm. You act like a toddler black out <laughs> i mean aren't aren't being drunk and a toddler the same thing yeah, people are yeah. just telling you stories about what you did and you're like maybe <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
I still um, I have my moments where I'm like, no, I like this relationship, but I think it's because they're both just charming. I also like find myself guilty sometimes, and I've talked about this on here before, but like of being a manic pixie dream girl. And then I get mad because I'm like, I'm not here for your storyline. I'm here for mine, which is true. A lot of the other sort of tropes that they steal for it. I'm like, oh, I do have a potty mouth and I say things that I shouldn't. And sometimes yeah. I put my foot in my mouth and do the wrong thing. You know what I mean? That's all true. I'm just also a 3D person. Yeah. But they make her more of a 3D person than Kira Knightley. Oh, a thousand percent, which I love. Yeah. And what I like on his end, too, is I'm trying to find a better description for it, but they almost have like a Beauty and the Beast thing. Because like <laughs> she just kind of brings out the best in him. Like he's no beast or anything, but like, you know, he it's like you said, doesn't know how to take a stand. And by the mm. end, he makes this grand gesture for her. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's very lovely that you see even though in terms of their positions of power which are problematic now he technically is the one in in power Mm -hmm. i think that she is the one who has the power in the relationship and she really brings out the best in him so i think that's cool yeah i agree also, I really like the moment when they're talking to Emma Thompson and she makes the joke of like, oh, don't try something, sir, just because it's Christmas. Like, it's just very, like, smart and like an in-joke of her. And I'm like, good for you, Natalie. Good for you. No, that might be my favorite scene, actually, in the movie. Like, that's good. low-key favorite scene where they're just like, we're in the, we're backstage at this school. <laughs> oh, but I love that. She's like, come on, this is my old school. Like, I, I feel like I could break into my old elementary school. Yeah. No, it's so adorable. I love it. Wait, I want to speak to this moment of <laughs> just because it's Christmas. Do we feel like Christmas, we tell the truth? That's a recurring theme throughout this. <laughs> do you feel like Christmas is the time to tell someone that you love them? <laughs> On behalf of anyone who's ever been like, mm, great casserole. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. That's I think it's all, that's someone just talking about the shooting your shot aspect of Christmas. But besides that, no one's like, you know what? It's Christmas. I'm going to say it. Mom, you're an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think I think it's more like at Christmas you evaluate what's important to you. And sometimes that leads to truth telling. But as a blanket rule, no. (laughs) Now, let's go on to our number three. Which is a couple that has grown on me over the years, which is uh, not John, but Jack and Judy. Or not Jack, but John and Judy. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. The thing is, I'm not mad that we're not really sure what his name is because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, you might be in a John and Judy situation if you meet someone who makes like the boring, most boring or most excruciating jobs something you look forward to. They are the Pam and Jim of, of Love Actually. They are. They are. <laughs> I think that you might be in a John and Judy situation if somehow you were able to like skip the awkwardness and jump right to the relationship. If that makes sense. Like they have no boundaries between them right off the bat. So they are able to just jump into the sweet part. Yep. Hey guys. Full. This is hilarious. I hope you keep this in full transparency. Who is it? (laughs) Oh my God. This is the, the porn stand in porn couple. Oh, we're here. We're here. We're giving them. But again, my point, it doesn't matter what their names are. They're just so unproblematic. Yeah. That's it. And I think that's why they've grown on me over time. Because I think when you're like a 13-year-old watching this movie, you're, you're here for like 
the drama and the reveal of Hugh Grant, you know, during All I Want for Christmas is for you. And then as I've become an adult, I now appreciate the lack of drama and just the purity of two people who just enjoy each other's company this much. Yeah. I want someone who gets so excited that I kiss them that they literally jump off the steps after I've quoted Mariah Carey to them. And I I want that kind of joy in my kisses. I want my kisses to elicit a Martin Freeman-esque jig. You know what's so cute, too, is when he it it makes sure his hands are warm to put them on her boobies. Okay, that brings me to my point. This is painfully revealing. But, like, are people supposed to massage nipples? (laughs) okay well you can stimulate you want stimulating the nipples can can cause an orgasm okay i actually didn't know this i mean that would be a wizard move that would be amazing (laughs) like no one's out here like i'm gonna give you a nipple oh like jesus people are out here like i can give you a nipple oh Listen, Megan, where do we find them? Maybe Katie and I have to leave and head over to Brooklyn. Maybe this is the climate thing on East Coast. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. We're cold. (laughs) (laughs) We're cold. That's how it started. I really don't have like all that much to say about John and Judy just because they're great. They're just sweet. And I guess... It's nice and refreshing. We all love like a drama. We all love this like screaming and fighting and the rain and all this stuff. But like they're just nice and they like each other. And there's something to be said. Yeah. There are a couple that aren't going to listen to both sides now and sob their brains out. Nope. No, there's no Joni Mitchell on in that house. It is only Kelly Clarkson bops. Yeah. But but like Kelly Clarkson Christmas, not even like the moody, the trouble with love is. From oh, the yeah. other scene. Like that's, they we're not talking first album, Kelly. Yeah. They're talking about that Kelly Christmas song that's like, you're here. Oh, yes. I love them. They're underrated. They are what we should aspire to. Yeah. Find someone that is so excited to talk to you as you sit on their face. (laughs) (laughs) So our number two relationship, we're going to talk about Sam, young Sam. You may be in a Sam situation if you've just undergone a huge tragedy and there is one person that gets you through. You might be in a Sam situation if you need Kate and you need Leo and you need them now. You need them now. And you need them now. Oh, and we're of course talking about Sam's relationship with not Joanna, but his father, his Daniel. Father. Oh my God. It's like a little bit about Joanna too. Yeah, we love, I love, I don't know if I just, it's because I first started watching this when I was a kid, but I love the whole Sam, Joanna, Daniel plot line. I I was going to say, speaking of Kelly Clarkson Bobs, this girl with her sparkly beanie. She's amazing. Here to play. Mm -hmm. So speaking of Sam, before we get too into it, have you guys watched The Queen's Gambit? I have not yet. I have not. So he's a full grown adult, but he looks the same. Like if you just took a picture of him on the computer and went zoom and like made it bigger. <laughs> it's weird. Like he's like a man on that show. He's like a love interest. And he looks like Fievel. Like, I don't know. He just looks like that's the so same, funny. but bigger. That's so funny. Yeah. He's brilliant in this movie. Oh, I just. Incredible. 
I love this plot line. Here's the thing. I think as a kid, I was like, I love the idea of having a crush on a kid at school and wanting to get them to notice me. I think it's so sweet. And as an adult, I'm like, this is his stepfather. It took me years to really realize that it's his stepfather and how awkward that situation is to like inherit this kid. And it doesn't seem like they were married all that long with the death of your wife and have it be this awkward thing that could have gone either way. Yeah. But instead the love of this kid gets him through. And it's, I think it's something that we do when we're grieving a lot is being like, I need a project. Like I need a project to get me through this grieving. And his project is Joanna and the yeah. project is getting this girl to love his son. Yeah. And I think that's a really real instinct that they just played on in this lovely, hilarious, ridiculous way. And then he validates Sam for not being in love as this stupid, silly thing, yeah. but like fully validating him and supporting him in that it love looks a million different ways and is in our lives at a million different times in our lives. And honors that with this young kid. And I think that he probably grows into a very successful in relationships as an adult. Oh, I thought you were going to say he becomes a successful drummer. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, here's what we all need. This is the spinoff. Sam grows up to be the next Guy Patterson. Wow. (laughs) I love you. I am Spartacus. I can't believe you just did that. I just came in my jeans. I do what I can for you. Well, I know, like, on the one hand, we're generalizing about musicians, which is just a fun thing to do. Um, (laughs) But on the other hand, my favorite thing about this relationship is there's, like, no toxic masculinity in it Mm -hmm. at all. It's amazing. The stepfather, stepson relationship, it's pure love. Like you said, he doesn't give him any Mm -hmm. crap for loving all they do is talk about their feelings which guys are trained not to do but Mm -hmm. they do it with such openness and then when he's depressed they watch titanic and they cry like i just think it's the most perfect example of like men have feelings too and you it's so beautiful to teach young boys that that's normal and okay and to go after what you want and to express yourself Mm -hmm. i it would be one thing if he never had that scene at the airport where he like goes after her to tell her, because mm-hmm. I feel like you'd just be raising another Andrew Lincoln who yes. just like pines and throws his feelings on girls. Yeah. But instead he's like, this is how I feel. And he's not like, Hey, don't go to America. Yeah. He's just like, I wanted to let you know you're fantastic. Yeah. And she's yeah. like, thanks. You know what I mean? Like that's the unselfish version. I love mm. that. An unproblematic King. Yeah. No going to be like, don't go. <laughs> also, it's so cute that that's like the first time they've really spoken because he, she goes, hi, Sam. And he goes, you know who I am? And she's like, of course I do. I'm like, bro, you waited too long. Yeah. <laughs> a lesson. There's the lesson. Yeah. Also, just my favorite scene in the entire movie is the pageant because I just can't recommend enough just paying attention to the details of this production everything from the teachers choreography to Mm. the the kids in the band to like the hip-hop dancers that they have come on (laughs) with joanna in the third verse it's like someone sat there and was like we need four boys to come on (laughs) yep yeah in terms of live you know musical performances i wish i was at it goes like woodstock uh, Beyonce at Coachella this Christmas pageant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Last but not least. Oh, and our number one oh. relationship. Aurelia. 
Say it one more time slower. One more time slower. It's, this is exactly how Colin fits the best he can muster. Aurelia. <laughs> Jamie. Oh, Jamie. she says Jamie. it's so pretty. She says it's so beautiful. We're, of course, talking about Jamie and Aurelia, our number one relationship. We're in the water. We're gathering the pictures, the, our screenplay pages. We are yes. in love. We're facing the eels. <laughs> uh, be careful of the eels. We're facing the eels for love. You may be in a Jamie and Aurelia situation. If, even without evidential proof, you have faith that there's a connection between you and someone else. This plot line is for all those people out there that are feeling vibes with someone. You're probably mm-hmm. not crazy. This is too on the nose. But in the spirit of being too on the nose, you might be in a Jamie and Aurelia situation if you just can't communicate. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll you I'll reuse this joke. I texted Katie and Megan a picture of them being like, "Oh my god, this is exactly like when you're in a relationship that's you're not speaking the same language. It's just like a creative dating a non-creative. You don't know how to do it, or like you're a you're an actor um, dating a banker. It's just hard. Yeah, and they're like, uh, uh, improv. Uh- <laughs> like yes, and-, and they're like, oh, you do skits. Like, no. like, ha, ha, like, ha, ha. You do a crime. A crime, murder, yes. Okay, this is why I'm in, they're my number one because I think uh, other phases in my life, I didn't like them as much because I was like, there's nothing really like to prove that they like each other. And I think that's now why I like it is mm-hmm. because. I think it's also like a beautiful little lesson and about the holidays is that sometimes there aren't tangible things that make this the most like wonderful time of year as the same way that there are sometimes not tangible reasons for you to know that you feel a connection with this person. And I think sometimes despite logic and despite your cynicism and your past and despite geographic barriers and language barriers, a connection you have with someone can still be real and honest Mm -hmm. and, and worth taking a risk for. And what a Mm -hmm. risk. Also, he had to work for it. He had to put in the work to learn that Portuguese. And, uh, you know, David couldn't take two seconds to look up an address. And Jamie learned motherfucking Portuguese, then goes and says it in front of everyone, despite, you know, his heart being broken earlier that year, despite having no evidential proof. He fucking goes for it. That is the result of the holidays, you know, making you want to spend it with the people you love and the holidays making you feel more than you would normally feel. And that like, uh, I hate Uncle Jamie, a man's got to do what a man's got to (laughs) do moment, (laughs) you know, is perfect because I think it is only that this like unconscious, like you're just working off of your impulses and I have to do it and I have to do it now. And I think that's sometimes what love can make us do. And just in cases... Just in cases. Lives n- not just in rent free in my head, but with the deed to the building. I pay it to live there. Yes. It lives on my couch. Just in cases. She learned English and oh. he learned Portuguese. It's, it's so, so cute. cute. It's so cute. I was going to say, like, those are heroes. Like, I was just rewatching Emily in Paris. She doesn't learn French. She no, does not. The audacity. She doesn't give a shit, but Comforth does. I think there's so much to be said, like you were saying, for the intangible, the chemistry and like, oh, my God, she doesn't speak the same language as this man. And yet she feels comfortable and safe with him in a foreign country. Mm -hmm. 
there's just so much trust there, you know, which is so important. And the way that they both say in that one scene, like the time I spend with you is my favorite Favorite. or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just so sweet because I feel like we all know what that's like, where you're like, I can't explain it. Or there's nothing really, we're not doing anything special, but the time I spend with this person is just my favorite. I just Mm -hmm. feel most happy and most comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I also think this one ranks correctly. If we had to relist our order, this one would still be number one for the hottest sex of the couples. Well, I just think if we had to rate their sex lives, all these couples, Mm -hmm. um, I'd put them at the top. Yeah. Also, shout out to Colin Firth as always being an unproblematic king. Like if there were someone who I would trust without speaking the same language as him, it would be him. Like his essence is just so wonderful. But when he gets to Marseille and calls the cab, he gives it to an old lady who needs it more. And (laughs) he's not happy about it, but he does it because he's a damn gentleman. Yes, he is. Because it's Christmas. And then the whole town follows them. And I love the subtitles in that part because one person is like, I don't know. I think he's going to murder Aurelia. (laughs) And they all are just on board with it. This is what I say about this movie, the jokes per minute. There did not need to be jokes in the walking to the restaurant scene. And yet they put in these subtitles and they add the character of her sister because we needed jokes in that moment. And that's what makes this movie good. Yeah. Immediately, I rewatching it. I was like, fuck, I know who I'd get cast as. Get cast as sister. And I fucking slay it. You're giving people, first of all, that she's beautiful. I don't want to undercount it, but you're giving our listeners the wrong impression of what you look like. You're quite gorgeous. You would not. Oh, but it's not about looks. It's just about that energy. And that picture is here to fight. That's hilarious. (laughs) Stupid. Oh. (laughs) Where are you going? He's going to confess his love. There's the audition. I also really like the scene after they say goodbye and then he just immediately gets into a car accident and just lays his head on the wheel like a fucking course. I also love what you said about the like the driving, the spending time together, because I think there is something to be said about like the everyday rituals with the people that we love that just provide comfort and safety and and security in, um, you know, a car crashy, heartbreaky world. And that's that's what I like about the movie is that it runs the gamut from the big and the grand and the extra to the very, very simple. And especially this relationship has all of it. And that's why they're number one. You know what else does that? What? Christmas. Oh, my gosh. So does Christmas, guys. Christmas is all ages and all sizes in England. so to wrap it up this leads us nicely into listen we just want to give a little a little how-to here at the end if you have someone in your life that you want to watch love actually with you and for whatever reason they they don't think it's for them how do we Mm. use this as the Joni mitchell to everyone's emma thompson teaching them how to feel how do you get someone to watch this movie with you i have a bone to pick with myself of a little bit ago, because earlier I was talking about the art scale and where this lands on it. And mm-hmm. I, in fact, after discussing it with you guys, think that it's at the top of the art scale. And here's why. Mm. I think it takes time to develop like a photo. Um, mm. Because I think, you know, how sometimes you watch movies with people and they're like, cool, let's watch this movie. And they just enjoy it. And then sometimes you watch movies with people and they're question askers. Mm-hmm. And they're like, who's this? How do they know each other? What's going on here? What's happening yes. next? 
and you're like, just watch it. You know, it's one of those. You would have to suspend being a question asker because yeah. I think it takes a minute to develop and for mm-hmm. all the things to weave together and for the messages to reveal themselves. And I think some of that even happens over several watches of the movie and over yeah. several years. And so I think though it's yeah, masquerading as a rom-com, I think it doesn't actually offer you all of the things it is on the surface. I think it takes a minute for those things to percolate and like reveal mm-hmm. themselves to you. Mm-hmm. And I think you, it inherently like puts you in a more relaxed place because you can't watch it like a lot of kind of current movies where it's like there's heavy plot, heavy reveals, lots of surprises and like tea. This, you just like, you can't be in control. You can't try to figure out who's connected to who. You nope. can't you can't like try to be like, oh, who's that? No, they know they're, oh, did they do this? You just literally have to relax and fucking watch it. Yeah. And have fun. And and I, I think I tend to do this where I'm like, you have to watch this movie. You're going to love it. I have to let go of like putting that on someone. I mean, I think first of all, if you want a dude to watch this movie with you, just tell them 18 year old Kira Knightley's in it. And <laughs> there you go. There you freaking go. But I think something I take issue with, I think when it comes to like rom-coms and fun movies, I get it. I know my love for this movie is extreme and the way that I express my love for this movie is extreme, but it's because I think it's hilarious. And I think if you are going to criticize this movie for the legitimate reasons that we talked about, about like the fat jokes and the whiteness and the lack of queer characters and all that, like that's legitimate, but nobody here who loves this movie is like, we love all of those things in this movie. We we literally said we want to take them out. But fans of movies like this that have some problematic parts that people like want to come for again and again and again are not given the same uh, respect feels dramatic, but we <laughs> don't assume that those fans of the movie know and understand those things. Yet boys with their like criterion collections, we let them love all the Roman Polanski movies. Uh. And we like assume that they know that there's problematic things with this. Yet they're allowed to like stand all of these problematic men all they want. Meanwhile, everyone assumes that we're just blind to the problems in this movie. Uh. no. Just because I love a rom-com doesn't mean I'm an idiot. Megan coming for the haters. I totally agree. I'm like, this isn't a movie that you could raise a hand to and be like, mm, mm. Mm. I mean, you should do that to anything that you want to because it, it matters. But this isn't asking you to do that. And no, no one is. No. no. And I think it's, oh, now I'm like mad at the patriarchy if we're really, if we're really in it. But I just think it's, yeah, it's societally, we are taught to discredit things that we associate as female oriented or things that women like. And I think among other things, something this movie teaches us is that love actually is all around. It's just not just a lady thing. It's a Sam and his dad thing. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, no, it's Billy Mac. thing. Mm-hmm. The Billy Mac and Joe thing. It's everywhere. So what, what's also nice about this movie is that like you could you could put it on in a room of all different ages. There's not a lot of movies I could have just put on because I watched this the other day after Thanksgiving and I, that you could just like put on and everyone in the room will find the time to be interested at some point, you know? Yeah. yeah. Also, like... Uh, People want to make such a big deal about this movie, but it's fucking fun. It is so fun. This movie, this movie is two over two hours long. And it I always forget that because it moves so yes. fucking fast. The music in it is great. The direction in it that makes it move quickly is great. The jokes are happen so fast. The performances are amazing. And also 
Richard Curtis also helped write Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again. And thus, I know that he knows how to give the people what they want. And like Mamma Mia 2, this movie is for people who want to have fun. What an incredible connection. (laughs) No one can argue with that. That was math. (laughs) And that was math. (laughs) math actually is all around (laughs) okay ladies anything else you want to say about this movie about love about christmas this holiday season in 2020 i just love actually you two and i i think you're perfect in every way what does it say at the last to me you're perfect to me you're perfect so and at christmas you tell the truth yeah everyone be careful don't tell the truth too much if everyone needed one more reason to just stay inside, it's because if you walk outside, you're just going to start blurting truth. <laughs> there you go. And also, you'll get on the virus. <laughs> yeah. Keep your cue cards and your germs at home <laughs> this holiday season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I love you both so much. Thank you for coming on to do this love and you. giving me so much of your time today and this whole year for giving so much of your time to this podcast. And it wouldn't be what it is without both of you. And thank you for returning for the holidays. Also, I was just going to say, like, this three is so fun. We have to do another thing. I know, I we agree. do. I love you guys so much. Actually, yours. Aurela. Aurelia. 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 Okay. I love you. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening um, to our very special holiday episode. I hope you go watch Love Actually with somebody who wants to have fun with you and have as much fun as we did all rewatching this year. We are doing a little mini season of a television show to wrap up 2020. And I'm very excited to talk about this particular couple as we wrap up the year. But for now, if you enjoyed the show, please go ahead and subscribe and rate it and tell Katie and Angela how much you love them. Find us on Instagram at Talking Ship Podcast and let us know your favorite couple from Love Actually, your favorite quote from Love Actually, what you would put up on a cue card. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.